Hi folks, welcome to Agency Unfiltered, the HubSpot Solutions Partner Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Dunn, and Agency Unfiltered is a weekly web series and podcast that interviews the owners, founders, and executives of agencies and services providers from around the world about whatever it takes to grow and scale. This week, we have on Patrick Thorpe, co-founder and CRO of EBSTA, a revenue intelligence platform that integrates with HubSpot, and he joins the podcast to discuss the move-up market and the importance of deep, actionable sales and revenue intelligence. Moving up market comes with considerable change to a partner's sales process, including the involvement of C-suite stakeholders, larger buying committees with new points of contact like the CFO and IT leaders, uh, and longer buying cycles. So Patrick starts the episode with tips and tactics for go-to-market teams looking to effectively engage with those upmarket businesses. Topics include moving from lead-based to account-based strategies, the importance of phone calls over emails or other saturated channels, uh, finding the right metrics for measuring productivity, and the value of multi-threaded, multi-contact relationships with prospects. We then move into revenue operations and its role in enabling an upmarket sales motion. We discuss the overlap and intersection of RevOps and revenue intelligence and how a humming RevOps function yields revenue intelligence, which in turn increases sales velocity. We then unpack revenue intelligence and how things like forecast accuracy and pipeline management, CRM data enrichment, sales automation, those things are are what upmarket businesses are looking for. And Patrick references closed one DNA and speaks to the impact, the visibility into what drives revenue for a business can have for your sales team. What happens when you introduce the C-suite at this deal stage versus that one? And what does revenue look like from persona A versus persona B? And what about when you're able to connect over the phone with your decision maker versus over the email and understanding the difference in revenue generated? Driving more revenue isn't just about reaching more prospects. It's about pulling the right levers for the prospects already in your pipeline. And Patrick wraps with the implications for customer success teams as well and how this level of intelligence can improve retention and create expansion opportunities. Consider this your one-stop shop on go-to-market strategies for engaging with upmarket buyers, the way you should be thinking about revenue intelligence, and how you can take full advantage of the EBSTA integration with HubSpot. Agency Unfiltered begins right now. Patrick, welcome to Agency Unfiltered. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, of course. Uh, where are you dialing in from in the world? Yeah, London, UK. Excellent. 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 Uh, I've never been, unfortunately, but I hear wonderful things about, about London, about the area. Well, you know what? It's um, you, you, I don't think you can go that um, long into a conversation without a British person until you talk about the weather. But it's like it's pretty cold. It's pretty wet in January, so I wouldn't encourage you to come now. But coming in probably September, October, okay. um, you know what we call the autumn, so not the fall, uh, but the autumn. Um, it's that that that's the time to come. Yeah, All right, you know, and it's not unlike I think Boston at this time of year too. A little gray. I mean, yeah. you can kind of see it here, right? A little gray, a little rainy. Um, so I'm familiar, but okay, good to know. Fall. Yeah. Fall is when I need to get out there. That's um, it. That's it. Well, Patrick, uh, here to talk to you today about a couple of things. Uh, I might start it with this, uh, and then we'll see where it, where it takes us. Uh, uh, as we both know, right, the HubSpot platform uh, is growing in uh, 
complexity, right? It's, it's creating the opportunity for more customization and extensibility, uh, integrations and getting third-party data piped in and out. Uh, and I think it's, it's built in a way, right. To support, uh, uh, businesses up market or those with more, you know, unique complex needs. Um, and, and with that, uh, I can imagine the sales processes required to work with and sell into those businesses, right. Also gain complexity, probably more decision makers, uh, probably higher stakes, uh, uh, probably different types of personas are part of that buying committee, right? CFOs, IT directors, what have you, right? Uh, and so I'll start with this question with all that in mind. From your experience and from Ebster's experience, what sort of go-to-market strategies uh, allow for effective engagement, you know, with these businesses and, and with these buying committees? Hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, I think go-to-market is for any revenue leader, it's going to be close to their heart. And it's a constantly, it's a constantly moving target. I think go to market. You can have an idea, you can have an a hypothesis, but then um, I would much prefer to have twenty percent strategy and eighty percent execution because mm. you know you can learn very very quickly that either your hypothesis was wrong, um, but the only way that you learn that is through testing it, right? So yep. that would be yep. the kind of the first thing. But in terms of how things have worked from my experience, I've always found that uh, certainly selling to other sales leaders or other revenue leaders is to go top down mm -hmm. um, as opposed to bottom up. I mean, I've, I've worked with businesses in uh, sort of conversational AI, for example, where going bottom up works and going into your technical user um, or your end user, you know, that person within the decision making unit. Uh, that really helps and they help sort of build the case from within. Mm -hmm. um, but from a sales leader perspective and selling to those top down uh, for, for sure that, that we found. Um, second one would be dependent on where the business is in your go to market kind of evolution. I'd probably split this into three. You've probably got the ideation stage, which mm -hmm. is where it's purely lead based. Um, you're just speak, speaking to anyone who's going to take a conversation with you. Mm -hmm. Then you move into uh, the transition stage, which is more account-based. Um, and this is where that you've got a predetermined list of accounts and you're going after them. Yep. Then you're more into the growth stage, which is where you have named accounts and it's probably just going as wide as possible and as deep as possible with those accounts. But because that stage is you know, on one hand, excluding your thumb in terms of percentage points of companies that are in the growth stage, we can sort of focus on the transition stage. Sure. So account based, yeah. right? And so I think if you're able to operate an account based sales approach, um, so you might create a portfolio of accounts and allocate to your sales team, you'll be able to then also join up your marketing efforts um, to those. So for example, what we do over here is that probably the quarter before the portfolio of accounts gets handed over to sales, they are having ABM campaigns run against them uh, from a marketing team. And then sort of the, the principle is then being warmed up and then handed over, right? Yeah. Um, so that would be how I would approach things now um, in, in the best way, but also making sure not to have too many accounts allocated to salespeople at any one time because it can be a bit overwhelming. Mm. Um, so not over, you know, not over inflate the assigned accounts, what have you. Yep. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Because I mean, if you're, if you're running what typically three to five contacts per account, um, then a hundred accounts is enough to be getting on with for sure, uh, to, to probably be doing that. Um, 
I'm a big advocate uh, just from my background as well, but uh, also because it gets it lists the quickest responses is being phone first, especially if you're going top down, especially if you're going to other sales leaders. Being phone first is absolutely the thing I would um, encourage anybody to do. Um, email, um, and I think it's actually uh, your employer that brought out some interesting stats on this in the past. So during you know during the pandemic, 30% more uh, global volume of emails going out, but a 30% reduction in um, response rate. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that we call that saturation. You know. Right. So that so that's that delta now is not particularly attractive when it comes to why would you blast out sort of a thousand um, emails a day or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, and this is even assuming that you've warmed up your inbox properly and you've done that whole piece. Um, so therefore phone first, you know, the phone works. It's, you know, and every single business or every single transaction starts with a conversation. So if you manage conversations and the, com the number of conversations that you have, as opposed to dials made, which is a vanity metric, in my mm -hmm. humble opinion, um, conversations made is um, is a much better understanding of rep productivity. Um, so that is your kind of your go to channel. Um, and then the final thing, actually, on this is I kind of t hinted at it is um, how multi threaded you are. So for for the for the for the people that don't really understand that what i mean is how many contacts and how many relationships or how many people are you speaking to at a particular account um and that might be the cro that could also be the regional directors the vps uh, even sometimes the reps and things like that um so that you're able to establish your in essence your champion initially which is you talked about buying committees and more people yep. being involved in buying committees, champions have never been more important. And so how multi-threaded you are is, um, is key, especially when in an account-based approach. No, that's helpful. I'm, I'm, I'm jotting down notes here. I, I don't want to forget any of the sound bites. There's a few things that I'm, I'm taking away from this as likely the listeners are too. It sounds like top down versus bottom up is critically mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds like transitioning, I think you said from ideation to transition, right? From lead-based to account-based. And with that- yeah right? Growing your portfolio of probably ideal client accounts, uh, mm -hmm. uh, have multi-threaded connections within them. Uh, go phone first. Uh, obviously, the other side of that coin is pulling back on saturated channels, maybe like email, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and then obviously, with any account-based strategy, it's the marketing team is aligned with those efforts as well and continuing to warm those contacts up. Um, mm -hmm. those, are my, those are my bullets here. Um, let me go all the way back to the top. This is interesting. You said at the end of the day, well, first off, testing, right? Testing experimentation is going to be the name of the game. I think you had the split 20% strategy, 80% execution. I love that. What does, mm -hmm. what's the, what does 20% strategy look like? So um, let's say that you've got an understanding of your total addressable market. And let's say to make things easy that you have a solution that supports one CRM. So let's say you've got Microsoft Dynamics to kind of keep keep us impartial from from, sure. from here, right? Uh, you've got a solution that sits on top of um, Dynamics like that. Um, you could quite quickly understand how many uh, how many businesses use Dynamics by some sort of technographic um, filtering through mm -hmm. a, a ton of data resource. So you'd get a good understanding of your total addressable market. Then you could kind of go through different layers of suppression. So it could be, well, that's everyone that uses Dynamics. What are some, we might take the view that we want to only do English speaking territories. So it could be UK and I, it could be the US. Then we'll go down a little bit further in terms of what industries we want to look at. 
Um, and it could be that we only want to look at, uh, I don't know, accountancy, legal and pharma um, or whatever that might be. Sure. And then we might learn, like to look at uh, full-time employees and we want to look at SMB mid-market or enterprise. And so we'll delineate between what that means in terms of full-time employees. So maybe, you know, 200 to, to 1,000 SMB, 1,000 to 5,000 mid-market, 5,000 plus enterprise or, or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that would be how that you would you could quite quickly split it out, and then um, you could then feed a, an intent layer into that. Um, so are those industries in those regions showing intent? You could you could you could do it that way. You could do it the other way as well. Which you go these are all the people, uh, these are all the companies that are using uh, Dynamics. Then straight away put them to to the intent layer. So be industry agnostic, be geo agnostic to understand. Let's focus on those businesses that are showing intent into what we are currently selling. So that could be another kind of approach. Um, so that's what I mean in terms of twenty percent strategy. So anything more than that is all hypothesis. Mm-hmm. Or you could get your list of accounts. You could have a conversation with someone and understand that is, can you validate your proposition by having a conversation with your market. Because, uh, for example, well, like the, the conversation that you and I are having now, we could very quickly understand what I'm selling is what you're looking to buy, or I could send you 10 emails and then you don't reply to any of them. I, it's, I, I'm busy. There's been activity going on, but there's been no actual validation of, uh, of my value proposition. Sure. So my, my read on this is, you know, 20% strategy. It's really honing in and offering that filtered view on the addressable market for your business, your product, your service, based on the criteria that you deem important. I think you've mentioned industry and company size, uh, tech, existing tech stack, language, uh, their intent, right? So that that's the that's my reflection if that feels appropriate. Yeah. Or, or just split it another way. Do you want that or do you want 80% strategy, 20% execution? <laughs> But to your right. point, going over indexing in strategy is hypothesis. And, you know, and at the end of the day, uh, uh, I would imagine maybe you agree execution is is where we're going to drive the business and revenue. Right. Productivity. Absolutely. Absolutely. Too much strategy is procrastination in my eyes. Yep. Analysis paralysis. Right. For sure. That's it. Um, on top of this kind of the go to market strategy that you've outlined here with with some of these tips and, and things to practice. How does this uh, overlap or intersect? you know, with, with uh, revenue operations, right? I know a lot of solutions partners want to offer RevOps as a service for their clients. Uh, mm-hmm. what's, what's that, what's that uh, uh, overlap or Venn diagram intersection between RevOps and the go-to-market strategy that you're outlining here to, to, to move up market? Yeah, okay. So um, we're able to kind of split RevOps down into having four distinct areas. The taxonomy of this area is up for debate, but sort of to, to keep it kind of consistent with uh, with what we feel. So you've got operations, you've got enablement, you've got insights, and you've got tools, right? Those four things. Um, and that's how you sort of split up RevOps. And that's across um, marketing sales and uh, customer success, you know, that yeah. connected go-to-market motion, yeah. right? Um, and so if you have um, a... F- pretty humming RevOps function, um, that is going to subsume what we term revenue intelligence. So revenue intelligence is basically the science behind predictable revenue growth. Um, and that's this is where we incorporate people and also deal intelligence. And so if you'll be able to understand what it takes to win, 
and the reasons why you had closed that deal successfully as one and be able to bring in data points as to why you've won that particular deal, you can then start to focus your efforts on what are the other characteristics we need to see from this company and how can we have one single data point that's going to effectively be our North Star metric when it comes to allocating accounts out to, um, to salespeople, to making sure that they're operating as efficiently as possible and also making sure that they are positively affecting ACV by going up um, sales cycle coming down um, and also your win rate going up um, all of those contributing to uh, what you guys have often talked about for years which is sales velocity right how right. much money is going through the pipe on a daily basis so I think that RevOps and revenue intelligence are clearly into you know meshed together um, and so we as a company are obviously wanting to ensure that the the greater level of sc scrutiny and the greater level of focus one has on what it takes to win, not just from a subjective point of view, but from a quantified point of view, then those are the businesses that are going to be successful, especially with the macro conditions as they are at the moment. Yeah. Yep. It sounds like uh, revenue intelligence is the uh, output of a really efficient RevOps function. Uh, I think you said like if the RevOps is humming, you have uh, uh, increased revenue intelligence. Obviously, the byproduct of that is increased sales velocity, revenue, sales cycles going down, average co or average price, sales price going up. Um, uh, there's two ways to take it from here, right? Uh, how can a listener today, a partner, a agency, a managed services provider, how can they apply and achieve revenue intelligence for themselves? But I can also imagine the other side is, Revenue intelligence and these insights matter to the businesses that we're talking about, right? Those upmarket, more complex companies that they're looking to to, to sell into. Uh, I may I may lean over to the client side. Let me know if you agree or not. But uh, is it fair to say that these businesses and these buying committees um, they care about these sales insights and partners should be leaning into uh, their ability to establish revenue intelligence with these prospective buyers? I mean, to your question, do, do more upmarket buyers care about insights? Um, absolutely. Because um, if you are a business who's wanting to attain a greater market share because you're one of these hyper growth companies or already an established business and you're trying to uh, take market share off, uh, off a competitor, then being able to understand um, what it's going to, you know, being able to understand what is the difference between a signal and what is noise mm. is significantly important, especially as you go for bigger, bigger enterprises, because they're going to be so much noise surrounding them. What are the things that, what are the indicators we need to listen to? And what are the indicators we need to, um, to forget or to, to not listen to? As the, as, what's as the framework for determining when a KPI comes through a data point, how do you determine what's a signal and what's noise? Um, it's going to be relevant to, um, to, to, to that particular business. Um, I'll, I'll kind of look at it through a, a slightly biased Ebster lens, if I may. Um, so we believe that relationships drive revenue and the more engaged relationships um, drive the best type of revenue, which you think, well, that kind of sounds pretty obvious, but typically the relationship or the strength of relationship has always been something that has been a, a kind of gut feel. You know, oh, is, is it... Is it um, um, He's a good guy, like I go, go for go for drinks with him or, or whatever that might be. 
But if you can actually attribute a score to the strength of that relationship, suddenly that becomes very, very, um, uh, very, very compelling to a business, especially yeah. if you can score a relationship from a company level at a contact level and also a deal level. All right. That's really, really important. So if you're focusing on that and you're understanding how the deal, for example, is actually trending, is it going up? Is it going down um, based on activity data and based on email data or whatever it might be, then those are some of the ways you're going to be able to separate um, separate out uh, KPIs that matter yeah. and KPIs that don't. That's really interesting. So there's, uh, you know, obviously on the marketing side, lead scoring, right? Understood, you know, yeah. How do you, what are the actions and activities that yield uh, more qualified leads in the sales process? Well, the relationship score. And it sounds like some of the the inputs to determining whatever that scoring system is, uh, obviously the activities they're taking, but is it also the channels in which they're engaging on? You've mentioned earlier, you know, phone is, is the way to go. And so reaching someone by phone versus getting into their inbox, is that the degree of how you would score out relationship? Yeah, so um, how we derive our uh, EBSTA score, so the, the relationship score, is um, based on a few different things. It's to do with uh, quantity, uh, it's to do with quality, mm -hmm. it's to do with timeliness, and it's to do with recency, or no, so, um, reciprocity, sorry. So, so what I mean by that is, um, it's kind of a worked example. Um, you and I are in an active sales process, let's say, and um, I send you 10 emails and you don't reply to any of them. Um, or I uh, phone you once and we have a 10 minute conversation by way of example. That will demonstrate a much higher relationship score because we've had that interaction. Yeah. So I look busier when I've sent 10 emails, but actually the engagement will be very, very low. And so that's why we're trying to monitor how engaged is that relationship as opposed to how many sales activities are attributed to that particular contact. Um, but then also looking at, well, the quality and the quantity. So the quality, um, we're working and developing our proposition so we can start to bring in elements of sentiment analysis. So positive, neutral, negative, that kind of mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. um, but also it's going to be, to your point, it's going to be dependent upon what type of interaction it is. So what we will do is we will attribute a higher uh, score if it's a face-to-face -face meeting. So that's worth more than an inter uh, than a um, <clears throat> Sorry, than a, than a virtual meeting, uh, than an inbound call, than an outbound call, than an inbound email to an outbound email being the kind of um, uh, the, the lowest grade, if you, if you like. Sure. Um, and so therefore, you can look at deals in your pipeline with the higher relationship scores, and it will probably be because you have either had more meetings with them or had more conversations over the telephone, um, as opposed to just blasting out a load of emails. Mm. Um, and suddenly you just think, okay, so the... Not only are the activities important, but actually we're focusing on the outcomes of our activity as opposed to just outputs, which I think I've just like nicked a mantra from the Navy SEALs, uh, <laughs> sort of um, outcomes over output. I think that's what they call. Yeah. Um, but it works here. The analogy yeah. still works. I mean, I think to your point, uh, uh, tracking activities or outcomes versus outputs, it's determining when folks are busy versus when they're actually truly productive, right? Mm -hmm. uh, because mm -hmm. yeah, a thousand dials over you know a period of time is one thing, but actually getting uh, conversations on the phone or otherwise, right? There's a quality measure too. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's a it's appropriate to maybe rip that that uh, mantra. I think as a I think that there was there was another point that I should probably mention. Okay, so um, let's say that you are um, 
you're a business that offers, I mean, we offer insights, you know, as a, uh, and we, we have sort of EBSA insights report where we sort of really dig down into uh, what's going on in the business. Um, and sometimes you can look at these reports and you think, well, look, it's interesting. Um, it's pretty, it looks nice. There's some nice colors on it, but so what? The interesting thing here is that if you're taking these insights, it's being able to make them actionable. So, so that's why we'll always say actual insights. And I'll give you an example. So um, if we are able to analyze um, a pipeline and closed one deals, closed lost deals to understand their DNA effectively, we could then look at them and go, right, we can see that as soon as you are introducing, i.e. more multi-threaded, introducing one more person to, uh, into the account, and also you're increasing your engagement score, this is what the effect of food could be. So there was a recent example where I had a particular business and I was able to say, if you go from one relationship to two relationships and you are able to increase your engagement score from I think it was 70 to 80, that will yield an extra $37,000 a week um, because of those incremental changes um, having a compound impact. And so what we're able to do is through all of this analysis, we can say that if you need to make an extra million dollars a year, it's not saying, well, I've got to bring in uh, two more salespeople and give them the 500K bag for the year. You can actually look at these are all the pinch points in our particular sales process. And if we were to tighten the bolts on all four of these six areas, let's say, by two or three percent, the outcome is actually going to be that million dollars because of the compound effect of those incremental changes. So actually being able to look at a revenue function in those eyes, um, that's why insights matter. And that's why businesses care about. Them. Yeah, I love uh, actionable. I mean, the example you've provided just displays the actionable nature of these insights. I liked also the term there, like the closed one DNA, right? Like what makes up those closed one deals? Uh, and it shows like, well, the influence of how multi-threaded you are uh, with these businesses or what your current engagement score is. And it sounds like at the end of the day, uh, you're getting revenue projections based on which levers to pull and, and what things you can improve upon. And it's really giving the business optionality on how they can achieve whatever desired revenue growth it is, right? Mm. It's not just, well, mm. you know, it's dependent on headcount. We need more reps. We need to push productivity. Actually, you could accomplish it in these ways and, and we can make those projections confidently because of these actionable insights, right? And I think there's two things in there. There's, um, there's one, you can uh, use it from a net new perspective um from a sales team who so if you've split your sales team into maybe uh, inside sales new business or, or whatever it might be looking at it from um how can we close more deals faster with revenue intelligence um so that's on the net new side but also you can look at expansion opportunities so you can start to see of your customer base who are those accounts that are demonstrating um different level or how engaged are they so from your cs team Let's say you've got a, a list of 100 accounts. Uh, they would probably know anything that was over, I don't know, a score of, let's say, 75. So it's out of 100, the EBSTA relationship score. So let's say it's 75, engaged, good clients. Your CS team is going to know who those are. They just will. But let's say you've got um, the next 40 clients have a relationship score of maybe 55 to 75. How about we were to look at a particular initiative, which was, which was to get all of those 40 over 75 in this example, in terms of relationship score, what difference is that going to make to our bottom line revenue when it comes to NRR? 
And so being able to use it in that sense is really, really attractive because not only are you looking at net new, you're looking at expansion and you're identifying those customers who are most likely to entertain a conversation around upsell and, uh, and cross-sell. So I would never say that they are demonstrating a greater propensity to buy because that is what see us are there to try and do right but having a conversation around cross-sell and upsell and knowing where to allocate your time from a cs perspective mm -hmm. um that's that's really important as well i think especially especially now uh in 2023 that yeah, you have to be strategic piece, you know? with where you're going to put your time uh and so having a an algorithm to determine well these are probably our, our best bets our likely bets for expansion etc but if anything mm -hmm. that sort of scoring system uh, allows you to be proactive in retention and renewal efforts as well. Regardless if they're going to expand, at least you can know the flight risks or churn risks, you know, cancellation risks as well. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Patrick, have you uh, seen or have you worked with in the past any agencies or, you know, RevOps as a service providers or any partners in the HubSpot ecosystem or elsewhere uh, uh, that operationalize this well? Um, any success stories you've you've been a part of or or you've seen from the sidelines on on how they've been able to take uh, uh, RevOps uh, revenue intelligence and actually sell into these businesses, um, help them with their sales efforts, maybe help them mm. with their own account expansion efforts from a customer success side. Anything there? Yeah. Um, so it's, it's it's nice to be able to say that we've got partnerships um, all across the globe actually within the ecosystem. So both from uh, yeah, at the elite level um, and um, and others, which is uh, which is great to see. So um, we are very well known to the guys over at Six and Flow. Um, it's one of the elite partners um, based here in the UK. And um, as luck would have it, we are involved in the Spotlight Initiative uh, cool. with HubSpot, which is basically where um, solutions partners and application partners come together and talk around how they are interacting, but also in essence, how solutions partners are able to use this particular application to effectively maybe charge more for their implementation and their ongoing services. So effectively be able to grow their business. Um, and so that's an initiative, which is, um, I mean, it's happening right now. There's, I think there's four solutions partners and four application partners um, in this first beta cohort, if you like, um, which is really, really cool. Um, and I think that the reason why that's been effective is because not only have we been um, focusing on the relationship score of Six and Flow and Ebster, uh, sort of drinking our own champagne from that perspective, um, but we're also helping them as a business understand where the opportunities are, both from a net new perspective and also an expansion perspective. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that we're really, um, re really excited by. Um, and then we as a firm feel that we are solving a particular challenge or solving two challenges, which is relevant to probably most HubSpot solutions partners uh, for the, most the end clients, because it's to do with pipeline visibility and forecasting accuracy. Those are two pain points that are always going to be talked about. And EBS is in a position to help solutions partners bring something to the table, which helps amplify the effectiveness of the investment they've already made into HubSpot. Yep. I love that. You know, uh, it, um, one note there, Patrick, just quick, it's, it's interesting in that, uh, you know, a lot of partners adopt this sort of like value based pricing model and it's not always just billable hours, but it's like, well, what is the value and what does it mean mm. to the client on the receiving end? And it sounds like being able to layer in this depth of revenue intelligence 
uh, allows you to offer more value for that client. And so, yeah, mm. there's there's higher costs, like higher pricing, like, more, you know what I mean? Like this can impact your pricing strategy in a, in a, in a meaningful way. Oh, for sure. I think it will be, um, I mean, we see such um, a shift towards, I mean, I think you mentioned the phrase at the top of the call, which was uh, a RevOps as a service, right? Yeah. This, 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 this idea. And um, yeah, I mean, this is um, revenue intelligence is a key part of that. And, um, you know, being one of the only plug and play, if not the only um, plug and play revenue intelligence uh, tool in the HubSpot ecosystem. You know, we're, we're certified now as an application, which is great. There's, um, there's a two week trial that's available for people to have a bit of a go, a bit of a go on it. And so if any solutions partners want to have a look at it, what I'd always encourage them to do is just download the application, install the app yourself, have a little look at it, and then just see how potentially it could work for your own business. Because some of the strongest sales pitches we've been involved in when, um, with a direct customer has been with solutions partners that go, we bought this ourselves and this is the kind of value that we've got. So therefore the sales pitch has a lot stronger conviction mm-hmm. um, than if it was just a, Oh, Hey, we've seen something. Um, so they, they kind of take the view, they take the, um, take the role as reseller as opposed to an introducer broker. It's sure. a lot, it's a, it's a lot stronger. Yeah. You know, and uh, it, it, uh, a lot of partners find success in that type of framework where it's, uh, I'm going to guinea pig a strategy or a tactic or a tool on us. Uh, and as success happens, well, now that's a success story to relay off to, to prospective buyers as well, right? I mean, that's it's not it. unlike inbound marketing from from years and years ago of like, oh, we put it into practice, right? And how do you think we got in touch today? And so sounds like a, a similar model may be beneficial for 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 EBSTA, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, exactly, yeah. Patrick, as we, we push up on time, uh, I wrap every episode with the same question. Um, I'll, I'll lay it out there, but I think we might take a different spin. Um, so it's normally, what's the strangest part of agency life? Uh, and so I don't know if necessarily you have the, the agency experience yourself. So maybe a spin is, what's the strangest part of, uh, of, of deepening or strengthening revenue intelligence? Have you ever uncovered anything strange in the data that presents itself? Do you know what? I think the strangest thing is always going to be when you quickly identify why something hasn't been working, go and fix it, and then the tap turns on. So by way of example, um, being able to see that if you introduce, for example, a CFO into a into stage two of your sale of your six stage sales process, your win rate goes from 25 percent to 50 percent. By, by way of example, so th- those sort of figures are arbitrary, but it's that kind of idea where you can suddenly yeah. think, okay, well, if we do, we can see that based on our th- on our first party data, so our close one and close loss, we can see that if we are to introduce a particular senior member of the decision making unit, CFO in this instance, or CISO, or whoever you're selling to, at this point, so maybe in the scoping um, part of our sales stage, as opposed to our proposal we see that our win rate is significantly improved by um, by X to Y. So that'd be one example. And the other example is um, something that we do on personas. So um, if you're taking an ABM approach, we can demonstrate that um, the velocity of a sales campaign is maybe significantly improved if you email the, or if you market to the VP of product versus head of product. 
So you can actually see the impact and the difference between personas that you think are pretty similar, head of product and VP of product, but you can see that one you know, generates you an extra 500 bucks a day than the other one. You think, okay, well, that's, that's something that those are kind of actionable insights that we can now take for future, for future work, you know? It eliminates uh, the need to have a hunch, you know, there's no, you don't action hunches uh, if you have the appropriate uh, level and depth of data here, right? Or revenue intelligence, right? That's it. Yeah, exactly. Well, Patrick, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Uh, I think you shared some actionable tips on go-to-market strategies, uh, especially through the lens of these types of businesses. Uh, Talked about RevOps and having revenue intelligence as a throughput. We talked about uh, closed one DNA, which I love. We stole a couple mantras from the Navy SEALs, I think. Uh, and so uh, super informative, super helpful. Uh, thanks for walking us through all this. It's, it's been great to have you on. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. And for folks that have tuned in today, this has been another episode of Agency Unfiltered.